Alright guys, welcome back to RTW's Wild History Ride. I'm Thomas. I'm Will. And I'm Rhonda. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about... Female spies of World War II. And y'all better click. Listen, the female stuff, I'm all for. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Same. Uh, I I think anybody who said they aren't would be looking to get cancelled, so... I know it. Same. Listen, cancel culture is alive and well. Y'all be careful out there. Oh yeah. But Um. before that, just wanted to thank you guys for listening. This is so much fun and... I'm glad we get to do it. Well, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've done it. They wouldn't know that. Yeah, because we kind of try to record a few episodes at a time. So Yeah, we kind of uh, tried a new episode last week that I was really excited for. I hope we can do more um, things of that, of the nostalgia factor. And uh, Rhonda, I expect you to have some stuff from your childhood, too. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, it would be so far back. I mean... Uh, I'm not oh, sure our I mean, listeners we, could even relate. If, oh. if we really look at it, technically... As far as anybody's concerned these days, our childhood's a ways back. Oh, yeah. Like, the, all, we, to, several all of, our, of our, our friends are were born in 2000, 2000 and after. I'm like, we're friends so. with Gen Zers. <laughs> I know. It's like, okay, we're millennials. I know it. I know it. Yeah. Okay. Now, what is the date range of millennial? I feel like uh, it changes. Well, ba- basically, think about it as born before the last years of the 90s. So then anybody after 2000 is a Gen Z year, pretty much? Yeah. I wonder when that changes to, I don't even know. I don't even know what the next thing would be. Yeah. No idea. Ba- basically, basically, I think the actual date is like born between, if you're born between 97 and 2000, you're one of the first Gen Zers. Hmm, okay. Because it kind of, you could fit into either category during those three years, but. I'm friends, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I have a more Gen Z humor. Yeah. Uh, than a millennial humor. And I don't know. I, I don't know. That probably doesn't I don't know. make you sense. Make, you make a lot of alcoholism jokes. So do they. <laughs> and they're underage. Sure. Yeah, Lisa, I'm telling you, you haven't met my friends. Have you? I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, I God. have met your you friends. You have met a lot of my friends. I've they're met awesome. a lot of your friends, too. They're awesome. But all right. So you ready to get into this episode? Let's do it. Let's start. Okay. So today we're discussing some of the female spies of World War II. Now, the women I've selected for this particular episode are either part of the French resistance or they're part of the British SOE. And the SOE is the Special Operations Executive Group, or I guess you'd say group, and it was set up to wage secret war working with resistance groups. And one of their biggest supporters was Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of different sources. One says he's a, a supporter. Another says that he actually uh, brought the organization into being. I guess he created it, commissioned it, however you would want to say it. But I do know that one of his comments was he, he told the SOE to go out and set Europe ablaze. <laughs> so definitely a supporter. Well, would that be yeah. like, would that always include? Um, I, I don't know, Rhonda, if you can answer this. Was this more of things for like, you know, wartime efforts? Were there women always included? Like, you know, I, I don't know if you know that, but. Uh, always included. I, uh, there was one in particular who started fairly early. She was like one of the first operatives who was sent into Europe. Uh, regardless of gender, male or female, one of the first. Wow. So, yeah, we'll get into that as I go farther into the episode. But, uh, yeah, they were brought on board fairly early. And I think the thought was uh, kind of under the radar. No one would suspect. Perfect so, spies. I agree. Yep. yep. And, yeah. of course, there were spies during World War One. also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to do that. I thought, yeah, we'll go with World War Two because I could find a little more information on that. But, mm-hmm. obviously... And even back in the Civil War, Revolutionary War, which I think we've discussed on one of our podcasts. Yeah, and I was going to say, one of our friends wanted us to cover that, I think, like Revolutionary War uh, spies, I believe, or, you know. Yes, he does. That'll be a future one. Yes, it will. 
Okay, well, we're going to start with Vera Akins, and she was a young Romanian woman working in Bucharest when she met Canadian William Stevenson. Now, Stevenson introduced Vera to the German ambassador to Romania with, of course, the idea that Vera could get intelligence from the German ambassador, which she did, and she did that for the British while outwardly working as a translator for Stevenson's steel business. Uh, the U.S. wasn't in World War II at this time, but Franklin Delano Roosevelt sent over William William Donovan to review the situation to see, you know, uh, FDR wanted to know what was going on, what was being done for Britons participating in the war. Maybe I shouldn't say participating, but mm-hmm. what they were doing to win the war. Yeah. Let's go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Donovan was actually the future creator of the CIA. So a very important person. So he uh, Churchill made sure that Donovan spent some time with Vera, and uh, he she provided her insight. She was a firm believer that the ordinary citizen could wreak havoc on yeah. the German army or any of their allies, the Germans' uh, allies. Those are the perfect people. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Who would suspect? I no, mean, who would suspect? Especially like a little translator, you know, or something like that. Like you could uh, – I forget. I always think of uh, – I don't know why, like Macbeth, like be the uh, serpent under the fly. I mean, shoot, you can hide in plain sight. I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And she liked invented weapons, things like rats stuffed with explosives <laughs> or bicycle tubing that could be used for guns. And he was he was pretty impressed with what was going on with the uh, SOE's activities and outlined uh, what they were doing to FDR. So definitely mm-hmm. impressed with her. And she's uh, she comes into play in some of the other women that I'm mentioning in the podcast because she's actually doing some supervision as far as these these women were concerned mm-hmm. and were over part of this group. So moving on, we're going to talk about Nancy Wake. <clears throat> Sorry about that who was born in New Zealand, and she lived in Marseille. And when the war came, Nancy became an ambulance driver. Uh, And she also started an underground railroad from her apartment in Marseille. She helped hundreds of downed Allied servicemen and political prisoners escape to England via Spain and the Pyrenees. Wow. And the Gestapo actually put a price on her head of 5 million francs. Oh, I wonder how much is that in a... Give me a second. Yeah, I'll get Thomas, well, look that up. I'll, I'll I look it so. up, but it's going to be different compared to today. Yeah, so. true. I, I just yeah. always assume more, you know, probably yeah. back then. Yeah, this would be that. early 40s, 44, maybe 43, something like that. Gosh. Yep. So she was arrested, but she managed to escape, and she made it to Britain where she joined the SOE. She parachuted back into France and joined the, and I hope I say this correctly, McCase, uh, maybe... Thomas, you or Will could uh, help me with the pronunciation. Oh, y'all know how good I am at it. M-A-Q-U-I-S. McKee? McKee? McKee, maybe? Marquis? I felt like it'd be some weird French thing. Uh, it looks like Marquis without the oh, R, so I would say Marquis. Okay, Marquis. Let's go with that. And I'm sorry, I apologize if we're butchering the word. Oh, y'all know yes. we're, we're very good at pronunciation. And that is a guerrilla resistance army in some of, the, uh, fr- in some of France's more rugged terrain. And she actually became an administrative head of around 7,000 fighters and coordinated nighttime airdrops of weapons, explosives, supplies. She also took part in raids, and she actually killed Germans with her bare hands. Wow. And Jesus. Of, with her bare hands. With her bare hands. She probably actually had like a pair of real bare hands. That's, a, <laughs> that's what she used. Okay, okay, okay. Really? Really? <laughs> you never know. And one of the Marquis supposedly said, she's the most feminine woman I know until the fighting starts, and then she's like five men. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, and you said it was francs, right? Yes. As in French francs? Yes. Okay, so Franks. 
5.4 francs. Let me guess. Let me guess. Like, and we're doing this to dollars? Mm-hmm. Uh, One million. No, 5.4 francs to a dollar. Oh, 5.4. I'm sorry. I thought you meant like, what? okay, okay, okay. So it was basically a million dollars. Yeah, which is still a lot of money for the 1940s. Yeah. Shoot, a million dollars? I would be worth $2 and I guess some change. I don't know. <laughs> well, after the war, she retired to London where she died at the age of 98. And wow. actually, her she asked to have her ashes sprinkled over, I believe, and I could be wrong, I think it was Nancy, asked to have her ashes sprinkled over the uh, Pyrenees or the rug, the area that she worked in in France. Wow, that that's so cool. Like It makes me wonder like how these women kind of got the, you know, I don't know, like got these affluent positions and stuff like that. Like that's amazing, but you know, for the time, like I'm like, Some, gosh, somebody just had faith and gave him the opportunity. Wow, wow, what a revolutionary concept! <laughs> yeah, and that that's it. A lot of times there was, in particular, say a man who was higher up who saw the potential and said, "Hey, I know you can do this." Yeah, and and pr- that's what a lot of it is: is you just got to give that opportunity. And a lot of times, people are just too narrow-minded to realize it's a good thing because they're so used to seeing. Like seeing women in lower positions, yeah, they don't think it's possible because they've never seen it done. Yeah, so they're just ignorant of the situation, yeah. of the potential. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I like Nancy. I, I like Nancy too. All of these women were were quite interesting mm-hmm. and rugged. Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say rugged, but they were determined mm-hmm. and had a lot of courage. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, obviously they would be killed if they were caught. Yeah. Well, and we know information about them now. I'm assuming that, you know, uh, hopefully none of them found were found out before then. And I'm sure, I'm well, we'll I'm see. sure several of them were. Uh, yeah, we'll see as I go on. Aww. Okay, next is Pearl, and I hope I'm saying this correctly also. Pearl, there you go, Thomas. Can you help me with that? Read that one. Read that one. Oh, God. Cornley? Go with Cornley. Cornley? Okay. Yeah, we'll go with that. I, she was raised yeah. in Paris by English it, parents. It makes me wonder if wherever you got your sources from just left off a letter or two in some of these words <laughs> I because not. that i'll shoot well you know you could spell anything anyway and pronounce it a certain way i feel like yeah well hopefully i've got this right but uh yes and pearl like i said was raised in paris by her english parents she uh, had to work to support her family she worked as a shorthand typist for the english government but she wanted to be useful and, I want to be a spy. Yeah, she wanted to be a spy. She wanted to help out. That's so cool. Vera Atkins, who we talked about earlier, recruited her for the SOE and sent her to France as a courier. After a few months, Pearl's main radio operator was arrested. So she took control of the territory that uh, the radio operator uh, was over, I guess. And she called the territory the Marie Wrestler Circuit uh, because of some of the aliases she used in as a, as a spy. Oh, yes. So, you know. That's what she called it. And she uh, lived in the woods. She organized drops of supplies and explosive to arm, again, the Maquis. How did you say it, Thomas? Maquis. Maquis. Uh, I would just go with Maquis. I'm, I'm sure that's wrong, but that's honestly the best we can do right Marquis? this minute because I don't know how to pronounce it. I like Maquis. Actually, you know, I'm going to look it up real quick. Okay. Oh, go, hey. ahead, go ahead and move on. Okay. Uh, and the Germans put a price on her head of a million francs. Oh, okay. And she went from being in charge of 20... What you, Go ahead. Twenty marquees to thirty five hundred. Oh, yeah. She became marquee. Marquee. Okay, there we go. Marquee. Long A and long E. Marquee. 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 Okay, she became an Marquee. expert in guerrilla warfare and resisted attempts by the French. Oh God. <laughs> My, oh, is it the same girl the that I did the Hashimura? Whatever we tried to do for no the idea. Diane episode. I have no idea, but I just figured I'd. 
Click it. She's like, Harper, she, bah, bah. <laughs> whatever she said. I'm like, oh my God. However, she mumbled it. <laughs> yes. And she resisted attempts by the French army to treat the Maquis as regular soldiers. She said, you have to know the area well to engage in guerrilla warfare. And they pretty much from what I was reading, wanted to drop the Maquis into different areas that they may have not been familiar with yeah. to engage in guerrilla warfare. I, I just think of her, like her having, you know, uh, freaking camouflage on and like, you know, all the this face stuff. paint. Oh, yeah. face yeah. paint, yeah. the whole shebang. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I do too. A buoy knife of some kind. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe she had it between her teeth <laughs> yes. crawling under the brush. Yeah. She's got to know the way. Like yeah. all these like men being like, oh God, this woman. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. She's like, follow me, guys. That's so cool. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, she, uh, like, yeah, as I said, she was didn't want the French army to take that group over. And after the war, she turned down a civil MBA for her MBE, I'm sorry, for her role in the war, saying there's nothing remotely civil about what I did. I didn't sit behind a desk all day. And that was because there was no military version of the MBE offered to women at the time so that she didn't want to accept it. And let me see. MBE is the most excellent order of the British Empire. And it is a British order of chivalry, rewarding contributions to the arts and sciences, work with charitable and welfare organizations, and public service outside the civil service. So it really didn't have anything at all to do with her role in combat or war. Yeah, let's give her like some, I killed the most people award or something like that. Like that'd be a cool award. Yeah. yeah, I'd take that other award too. It sounds pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Well, she turned that one down. She's like, uh, probably it didn't go far enough and didn't. She didn't exactly civil. state what she was doing. She's like, uh, she goes, I can neither uh, confirm or deny whatever she said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. We have Virginia Hall, who is the only American on my list. Oh, wow. Yep. She was one of the SOE's first operatives, as I said, of mm-hmm. either gender. And she was born in Baltimore, 1906. She traveled to Paris, studied in Vienna. Uh, she worked as a clerk in the American embassies in Poland and Turkey after her father lost all of his money during the Depression. Mm-hmm. She uh, tried to join the U.S. diplomatic corps, but the State Department turned her down, possibly because she had a wooden leg. Oh, wooden leg? Yes. I wonder why she had a wooden leg. She, well, okay, she, that was the result of a hunting accident. She accidentally shot herself in the leg. Oh. And I don't recall, I don't know what exactly was going on, but yeah, it was a hunting accident. Man? Pretty sure she was the one who shot herself. She'd be so yeah, cool. Probably I, dropped uh, their gun or then it went off. I gotta, I'm, I'm I gotta guessing. say, if somebody shot themselves, I would... I, I wouldn't give him any kind of job like oh, that. Oh, well. Like she, that. It, it crap happened. She probably just had her gun down to her side and it just went yeah, off. I mean, probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. Mistakes happen, but it's it kind of makes you lose a little bit of confidence. Like, why would I want to give you a gun? I, listen, I, I, are you kidding? If she showed up with her one leg and then a Bowie knife, <laughs> or, or, I'd be like, she can hang okay, with me. maybe. But I, I just feel like, I feel like most people would be sitting there going, you, you shot yourself. I'm like, she's okay. you shot yourself. Obviously, I need to find out more detail about yes, what happened. Yes, please do. Yes. So maybe in our next one, I'll explain. I'll go over that. I'll explain that a little better than, At the than just <laughs> than just she had a wooden leg because of a hunting accident. I like it. But uh, she went on to work in France as an ambulance driver, but fled France when they surrendered to Germany. And when she checked into the U.S. Embassy in Britain, she was asked to provide intelligence on what she'd seen. Makes okay. sense. Yeah, uh, And shortly after, Vera Adkins again recruited her and sent her to Lyon as a reporter for the New York Post. That was her cover. Because mm. at that point, America was not in the war, so she was free to kind of move around a little I'm bit. I'm just a reporter. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, and she was the first female SOE to be sent into France. 
She helped smuggle out information and prisoners and smuggle in agents and supplies. Gosh. Yeah. Klaus Barbie, the butcher of Lyon, reportedly said, I would give anything to lay my hands on that bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I think that sounds a little desperate. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's like, listen, I got a leg. I said, you don't know what I'm hiding in this leg right here. I'm telling you. Yeah. And I don't have uh, if there was a price put on her her head or not. I don't have that in my notes. (laughs) It was a personal vendetta for him. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. And when the situation became too dangerous, she fled France through the Pyrenees on foot in the dead of winter. And supposedly as she was traveling through her wooden leg was giving her problems no and she communicated to i guess her handlers hey and she called it cuthbert, cuthbert. Oh, leg. I, I believe like that. that i believe that was what she cuthbert, of course i have something like that cuthbert okay. let's cuthbert. go with that and she said cuthbert is giving me problems and whoever it was on the other end didn't realize that cuthbert was her name for her wooden leg and he said he should be eliminated so she's like oh, okay okay well, i don't think we can do that <laughs> i won't get very far she's like i do only have one real leg y'all yeah, yeah. And so after arriving in Britain, she joined the OSS, which is the American version of the SOE. And she went back to France disguised as an old peasant woman where she was a radio operator. And she monitored German intelligence and organized drops of supplies to the Maquis fighters for uh, sabotage attacks against rail lines, trails, uh, tunnels, bridges, anything the Germans were using. Mm-hmm. So I tell you, that is quite a story. That's so yeah. neat. Yeah, it is. Well, she, I mean, I, I believe it. I'd be like, well, there goes that old peasant woman with that leg. I'm telling yeah. you, I said, I don't know what she's doing. I don't know, doing voodoo in the woods. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You, But, you know, obviously, uh, from what I've read, she had a limp. So unfortunately, that did not give her away when she went back as disguised. And yeah. so that that's pretty awesome. I just can't imagine the danger these women were in. No, no. no. Well, especially because you said she was like the first one. You yes, know? she like, was. She that's was. a daunting task. Yes. And I, my last one is not, uh, unfortunately, is, is does turn out to have a bad ending. I'm not sure about all of the others. As I said, one we know retired. And I think all of the others that I've mentioned made it out or lived or survived the war. Mm. And Violette Sabo, uh, S-Z-A-B-O, Zabo. Is that right, Thomas? Oh, that's cool. Zabo. Zabo. I would go with Zabo, but it's probably wrong. I'd pronounce it Zabo. Half French, half English, joined the SOE's French section after her husband's death at the Battle of El Almain. And I'm sorry, I'm butchering these, these names, words. y'all. Alamine. Can Al-Main? we just like have like a normal name in well, 1942? It's not English, dude. No, I'm just like well, I, that has to be hard in there too. Like it's the battle. It's the battle. No, of, you get used to your language. Ugh, I'm I mean, still you not realize, used to you realize how many people think English is hard, uh, but for us, it's just talking. Well, yeah, they heard me butcher those names in French. I'm not even gonna go. <laughs> yeah, they did, go, and go me over too, it. obviously. Yeah. I did better than both of y'all, but I still butchered some of them. Yeah. Well, let me try that again. Uh, the Battle of El Almin. I like that. All right. That sounds I'm, good to I'm me. I'm not going to get it right, but it, and that occurred in 1942. She parachuted into occupied France in April of 1944. Yes. Badass. Parachuted. I'm sorry, but it needs to be said. Along with a suitcase transmitter. She had a wooden arm. Okay. Uh, Yeah, she was forced to return to Britain when the group she worked with, the Salesman Circuit, and I'm not sure how they come up with these names and why they call them Circuit. Yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm finding in my research. Uh, When the Salesman Circuit was exposed, however, she parachuted back into France. June 8th, 1944, which was two days after the D-Day invasion, the beginning of the D-Day invasion. Uh, yes, and she assisted with the resistance in sabotaging German communications line lines, including 
helping delay deployment of the 2nd SS Panzer Division into Normandy. So kind of shut them down or delayed them so that our folks could could land there safely or maybe not safely, but could land in Normandy and disperse out and and deal with the uh, Germans and Mm. free France. But she was captured June 10th, 1944, and was executed February 1945. Oh, wow. So she was, I think it was Ravenbrook, was the concentration camp oh, okay. she was in. Okay. So, yeah, they put her in the concentration camp. I was, camp. I was fixing to say, I guess, like, all the prisoners of war would have been concentration camp, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah, if they, yeah, if they weren't killed immediately. Yep. And so she was put into the concentration camp and eventually executed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I remember, I think the only two I ever really heard much about during the war was, like, Auschwitz and, like, Ber- Bergen-Belsen Dachau. or something? Bergen-Belsen? Yeah, something like that. But, yeah, there was Dachau... Uh, God, I, I I know more. I just can't remember what they are. It's been a while. I said this has been. Uh, I, I love talking about these things because it just reminds. It's oh yeah, yeah, like you know. I remember it from like ninth grade world history or whatever. Oh yeah. Uh, All right, and go ahead. just uh, continuing on. I mean, obviously, I'm finished with the the women I've selected for this episode, but I do have some books that uh, our listeners might be interested in. Uh, there's a couple about Virginia Hall. One of those is a woman of no importance: the untold story of the American spy who helped win World War II. So cool. And the other is The Wolves at the Door, the true story of America's greatest female spy. And then I have a third written by Pearl, and I'll I'll try this again, Cornley, and it's called Codename Pauline, Memoirs of a World War II Special Agent. How cool that would be to like have a book about, you know, what you did during the war. I guess I'm assuming these women weren't going to actually pick up being a spy anymore, so you know, she why not tell what you what you knew? I, I would assume so. I would I would assume they didn't go on and weren't spies somewhere else, but or in some other conflict somewhere. But uh, I imagine there were limitations as to what they could say. That's true. That's true. Oh yeah. I mean could you could you imagine someone just leaking all this information? Yeah. One, it would also it would leak how these intelligence agencies work so people could figure a workaround how to avoid getting caught. Yeah, would it be like treasonous almost in a way? Yes, yeah. it would. That's how I was wondering. Yeah, I would think so. Like I said, I'm I'm sure there are rules that they had to follow and they probably had to have it reviewed before they could release it by, you know, a state department, whatever would be the British equivalent, something yeah. like that. I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine it was just turned loose. And Do you have any of these books? I do not, but actually I'm thinking about downloading some of these because be they good. sound pretty awesome. That would be so cool. Well, that was all I had for this episode, and I'm sure I just scratched the surface, but just doing the research, these these are some of the women that just stuck out. Uh, like I said, they had an amazing amount of courage. I can't imagine what it would have taken. I mean, when you're, you know, you encounter someone who's your enemy and you know they want to kill you and to keep your cool in whatever situation, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine. There's uh, this, and Thomas knows, uh, kind of, I've told him about her and stuff and we've seen her before, but there's this girl, Lacey Evans, who works for the WWE, who I really like. And she was a military police officer. Um, like back she in, was a Marine, right? Marine, yeah, yeah. Marine, uh, special forces. She was like, she did like infiltrate, like whenever there would be like a, um, she was on some special forces team that would infiltrate when there was like some kind of enemy or something that they had to infiltrate or whatever. She was on this special squad and was the only woman on it. Mm. And she is like the coolest person, like when, like the, how she carries herself. And I can only imagine that's probably how these women probably were back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like she just, yeah. it's so cool. Yeah, had to have an amazing amount of confidence. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, guys, we're going to wrap it up here today. Uh, we have this episode and one more this month before we start a Ooh. special 
Ooh. series, I guess, <laughs> for October. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I know. I'm so excited. Yeah. Stay tuned. Hey, guys. This is Thomas from RTW's Wild History Ride. And I just want to come on for a second and thank you for being our listeners. And also to ask you to check out our Instagram page, our Twitter, and our YouTube if you aren't able to listen on your usual listening apps. And thank you all.